You're listening to the Sill Podcast Perspectives on Art and Technology with Peter Noche and Harry Posner. Episode 30 Who's That Knocking at the Door? Do you let him in? back door to a home may be the more frequently used entrance for regular visitors while the front door may be reserved for infrequent guests or specific occasions. We use these pathways into our homes to set the tone for the ensuing encounters. What you just did, start with that. What are you drinking over there? What am I drinking? Over here. Well, silly question, Harry. Hockley Valley coffee, of course. Hockley Valley. When am I talking with a New York accent suddenly? <laughs> I don't know. I, I tell you that the mic is on and boom, you, you pull that on me. And boom, we get it to access. So knock, knock, Harry. Say again? What? Knock, knock. Who's there? Doris. Doris who? You have to answer that. So <laughs> no, we got it's the other way around. <laughs> knock, knock. Who's there? Doris. Doris who? Doris locked. Uh, that's why I'm knocking you. Okay. <laughs> knock, knock. <laughs> Oh, we did it the knock knock. <laughs> I'm not editing twice. <laughs> so, Harry. What? Harry, do you lock your door when you're at home? I do. Not when my wife is out. I ah. don't lock it. I don't feel the need. Interesting. I don't lock the door either when my wife's not home. Why is that? I don't feel the need either for some reason. Right. Certainly don't lock it if I know I'm going to go out in a few hours or if it's the middle of the day. I typically will lock it if it's late at night. Why if it's late at night? Habit. I've never been that preoccupied or worried about someone uh, coming in my door when my car's in my driveway and my lights are on. Well, that's what I mean. Yeah. yeah. I mean, why yeah. would you be nervous about that? Because some it's people not, are. Some people are excessively nervous about that. Yeah, but it's not a high crime rate area that we live in. No. Particularly. I agree. So, you know, we, why don't we trust our community to be a safe one? Well, that's, that's, what, a good that's what doors are about, really. It's about trust, isn't it? Exactly, about trust. And once upon a time, in the good old days of the Paleolithic era and uh, ancient civilizations, you'd have adobe buildings, you'd have a cave town, cities, and the doors would be just entrances. There'd be no doors per such. There'd be entranceways. It's like an opening to a cave. Yeah. And uh, didn't feel the need, especially, to put something, a barrier, let's say, in the mm-hmm. way. And that's because community was closer knit, perhaps. You got wind of somebody in the community that was of ill repute, mm-hmm. uh, and you dealt with them as a community. Somebody stole something, you'd go and thrash them. That would also explain the small town versus big city environment, right? I mean, a lot of people that live in smaller towns say that's one of the reasons they move to smaller communities. Yeah, right. Is because there's more of a community effort on every level, including security aspect. For example, your children are also being checked by your neighbors. It's not just you looking out after your own children, and you're looking after other people's children as well. If you see something's amiss, you don't say, well, it's not my business, because it's your neighbor's kids. Right. And there's a mutual interest. So you're saying that's not as prevalent in the city? I think in the cities we know it. I'm sure there are parts of the city where that does happen, but we tend to be the more urban the environment, typically, the way we know it today, the less of that there is. We yeah, tend to be, there tends to be more anonymity. Yeah, and the fact is we keep our kids behind locked doors mm-hmm. when once upon a time we just throw them out to play 
right. and let them fend for themselves. We don't do that anymore. So if we can't go out with them, we'll keep them indoors where it's safer, mm-hmm. behind the door. So the door itself, it represents a barrier of sorts. A barrier when it's closed. When it's closed. You've met people who have, around their sort of psychic disposition, they seem to be very open to the world. Their doors are open. Artists, in general, need to have their doors open. They need to feel the winds of the world and the atmosphere coming into their being, into their soul, because that's what their art is made out of. The material for their art comes from the world. Look at 9-11 as a turning point in the history of the planet, in a way, where suddenly the doors of nations, the boundaries of nations are being shut. Certain nations are being left out, not allowed in through our door into our country. Trump is going on about making sure all these Arabs and Muslims can't get into our country to be terrorists, blah, 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 blah. Immigration limitations and so on. Shutting the door Mm -hmm. to immigration is a major debate in many, many countries because of the security issue. Yes. So they're the doors of nations. They're not only our personal doors, our inner doors, our physical doors, but the doors of nation states. Which again comes down to the same thing, though, which is trust. Mm-hmm. Trust, sure. And history. Mm-hmm. If you've got a history of animosity with Palestine and Israel, their doors are closed to each other because history is full of blood. Peace is not in the works. Yeah. Right? Or is not an option and for yet, many. And yet the peace that's required there has to have open doors. There yes. has to be more interrelationships, mingling, mm-hmm. sharing of cultures for that to happen. It won't happen otherwise. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult for cultures to open the doors to each other, especially if they've had a long and violent history together. Mm-hmm. So how do we open doors? How do we open doors internationally? It's a very complicated thing. It's not simple. We're also dealing with a lot of different ideologies. Part of the trust factor also comes from understanding one another. If I understand you and you understand me, there's more likelihood to be a more immediate trust um, simply because we're on the same wavelength. Yeah, but even in our own culture, Mm -hmm. I've gone door to door in my life, in my work life. Yeah. And these people know that I'm from the same culture. Mm -hmm. They're from the same neighborhood, maybe even. And yet... The instinctual response at the door from these folks is to say, who are you? What do you want from me? That's the feeling you get, right? Yeah, but that also goes back to what I was saying earlier about doors themselves. In our culture, a door represents something, especially a locked door. A locked door says to you, you need my permission, you're intruding, right, and so on. So the proverbial uh, person that comes to your door is breaking all those kind of understood rulings about doors. Yeah, and 99 out of 100 times, the person coming to your door is wanting something. (laughs) They're not just coming to your door to say, I just wanted to say hello and have a lovely day. Bye-bye. That's true. No, no, right? So when I was working door-to-door in my early 20s, I was Willie Lohman. That's what a salesman I was selling door-to-door encyclopedias. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Which one? I forget the name of it, but it was, it was a well-known encyclopedia. Britannica. Not Britannica. It could have been Britannica. Could have been Britannica. I, I Britannica. Okay. But the thing is, I was, first of all, not suited to the job. I was shy, didn't know how to talk to people very well. Mm-hmm. And here I was going door-to-door, having to sell people 
immigrant families, people who probably couldn't afford it, Mm -hmm. trying to sell them a $500 set of encyclopedia. Right. And just not... Oh, I just, I, I, my heart hurt. I couldn't do it, you know? And then you'd go to these seminars and these uh, hotshot salesmen would say, well, this is how you close the sale. You do this and this and this, and they can't say no. Why, Why am I sounding like Jimmy Stewart right now? I don't, I don't know. No. But that's, that's what would happen. And I would try to take that and apply it, but I couldn't because my heart wasn't in it. Okay. Why do you think your heart wasn't in it? Because I understood that I was taking advantage of people and their worry about their children not getting an education because that would be one part of the pitch. You see, mm-hmm. to, your kids will have uh, access to all of this incredible mm-hmm. good information and they'll grow better and they'll do better in school, blah, blah, blah. But I knew that a pitch is a pitch. It's not a conversation. It's not real. It's just a way of selling something. And I'm not a good salesperson unless I love what it is I'm selling. Of course, because then you're not selling, you're educating. I'm saying, hey, I know that this is a fantastic thing. Mm-hmm. Whereas I didn't really trust that pitch myself. But don't you think part of the reason is also because when you were doing it, you were imagining or you knew what it was like to be on the other side of the door? Well, of course, because we've all experienced it, mm-hmm. whether it be religious fanatics coming to the door to sell you God or their version of God or someone selling duct services or uh, tarring your driveway. We know that they're all after something. They want your money or your soul. I don't know about you, but my policy, uh, when someone comes to the door, I always give them the benefit of the doubt. I always open the door, and even if I'm feeling annoyed about it, I don't want to be disturbed, I try to gather myself and give them at least 5, 10, 15 seconds to speak. Because what I've learned is, people that come to your door, many of them, just like you described, aren't necessarily comfortable doing it. So it's my way of saying, hey, I'm not particularly interested in answering this door right now. However, I appreciate that it's minus 25 out there and you're out slugging away whatever you're doing. You're trying to earn a living. So Mm -hmm, go ahead, give me something. and, And then I will politely say to you, I'm not interested. I wish you all the best. Nice talking to you. Goodbye. <laughs> and do you, this, do you do the same thing with telemarketers? Do you say, oh, it's lovely to talk to you. Have yourself a lovely day. No, but generally, but generally speaking, I will give them, at the very least, I will say, I'm sorry, I'm not interested. Your time is better spent with someone else. I almost never will just hang up the phone or send them to Timbuktu because these people... For the most part, they're just people trying to earn a living. Yeah, I know. Right. Um, so what I'm saying about it is, is that the approach we take, on the one hand, we struggle with this whole friendliness. Uh, we talk about being open, being social, yet in our everyday practices, we do the exact opposite. In terms of you're coming at an inopportune time, you're bothering me, et cetera, et cetera. The only person that really bothers me is the person that argues with me after I say I'm not interested. Right. I used to um, <laughs> I used to take uh, Jehovah's Witnesses that would come to the door, and they'd be elders. You know, they'd be eighteen and nineteen years old, and they'd have mm-hmm. the thing "elder" on their badge. And I, you know, Jim and John, and I'd say, oh, "Well, Jim and John, you know, nice to meet you." And they'd pull out the Bible as they normally would and try mm-hmm. to sell me on religion. And I would say, "Can you hold on a second? And I'd go in the house and I'd get a book of poetry or something. And I'd say, "You know what? This poet here in this particular." Uh, poem is really 
talks about spirituality in a very interesting way. Mm-hmm. And it had, would have nothing to do with the Bible. And I'd say, Let me, can I read that to you? Can I, can I, can I read that to you? Because they want to read stuff to me. So I'd re- want to read stuff to them. And what would be the typical response? They didn't know what the hell to do. Right. <laughs> because normally it's they're giving the spiel. And mm-hmm. I'm convincing, I'm trying to convince them that spirituality is a much wider thing than what their religion would tell me it is. It's very hard for them to hear that. Mm-hmm. So I'd have fun with them in a way. You've added something to the mix. By doing that, you've actually made, in my opinion, you've made the situation better all around. You've made it fun. You've also taken an opportunity and perhaps left them with something to think about. Because sometimes the people that come to your door, it's not them just trying to change your thinking. Perhaps you can impart some information to them that makes them rethink what they're doing. Hmm. Yeah. Do you ever... Hmm. invite a person at the door whom you don't know into your foyer. Yes, I have. Okay. Dangerous move. You never know who they are. Well, of course, uh, when I say foyer, uh, typically it's just inside my door. It's a very cold day. But I, you know, I kind of assess a situation and I am quite vigilant um, yeah. because it's my nature to be. I'm always looking at people's hands, eyes, uh, <laughs> because deep down, <laughs> I'd like to be a trusting person, but my personal experience growing up made me a, a very vigilant individual. Uh, so I'm naturally checking things out all the time, even though I seem the complete opposite. I yeah. seem very aloof, but I'm always looking for danger. <laughs> you can see that my hands are visible. <laughs> yeah. Both of my hands are visible. They're not reaching for my pockets. <laughs> no, <laughs> I mean, I'm joking, safe. but it's true. Because inherently, I do think that the great majority of people are good. And of course, you're going to get situations where that arises, where there's danger. But I choose not to live in that box. Yeah, uh, sure. Is there a risk? Sure, there is. Uh, yeah. May I perhaps pay with my life, it's always possible. Yeah. Um, but my attitude is I'd rather not be afraid. I'd just rather be cautious. Well, that's what I experienced too, because my second uh, door-to-door experience was getting the, the last uh, census out mm. to people two summers ago. And I went door-to-door to practically every house in my general area where I live in Caledon. Mm-hmm. And I got everything from not interested and the door won't open to being invited in, being given a cup of coffee and sitting down with the person and doing the census together with them at their kitchen table and everything in between. Interesting, eh? Yeah. Also, you know, I had a, a tag saying Government of Canada, tax, blah, 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 or census uh, department. And so people do believe that, many people, and they'll invite you in because they know you're le- legit. Right? right. But of course, on the other hand, anybody can make up a tag saying Census Canada. Mm-hmm. So there are people out there who were mistrustful from the beginning. It would take me five trips to their house before they would actually open the door and take the census mm-hmm. from my hands and say they would do it or whatever. Yeah. So those yeah. things tell you a lot about a person. Sure. They tell you a lot about their nature, about, you know, what they're inclined to do or not to do and perhaps even gives you a bit of insight into their past history and what they've experienced because it's always been interesting to me how people who come from extremely difficult situation, i.e. a holocaust or extreme abuse growing up yeah, uh, it's a real interesting study in human nature and and what drives us. And how do you change that? I mean, how do you move from not trusting the world around you to being open to opening your door and saying, you know what, 
the world isn't out to kill me. The world is maybe a more user-friendly place than I think. Mm -hmm. How do you get there from a place of having been brought up, not trusting anything? I think the way you're raised is huge because it gives you the building blocks. So if you've always been told to be afraid of everything or almost everything or don't trust this, don't trust that, that trip is going to be a lot more difficult to change it, I think. Yeah. If you take an individual and you push more the go ahead and try it and if it doesn't work, try again attitude versus don't ever try it because you'll never make it. I think all in all, you're going to come up with a much better end product. Mm -hmm. uh, that's just my opinion. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not about being afraid, but also not being reckless. So the trick to me is to teach vigilance, to teach caution, but not fear. There is a difference between the, that's the, right. the two, right? Yeah. Because you don't want to isolate yourself. See, the, the locked door to me also represents a certain amount of um, withdrawal. Someone who locks the door and does not come to the door when someone is knocking, that's not necessarily just fear. It's also withdrawal, hmm. a form of, I can't do it. And so you become inculcated into this mode of thinking that makes it very difficult to trust anyone and anything. Well, there's another side to that, too, and that is the world is so fast and loud and, and in your face these days that people will often close their doors and lock themselves away just to find a place of calm, a moment yes. of quiet where they're not dealing with people who are after this or that or right. who are profiling you on the internet and want your, your business. Artists also need to take those quiet places and shut everything out. I'm of the belief that that comes from inside yourself. It doesn't come by objects and structures. The door I have to work on is the door of my own mind, not the door of my house or the door of the building that I'm in. I create within my own mind that barrier. I know that sounds kind of cliche, hokey pokey stuff, but I believe that. That's what yogis are about. That's what meditation is about. That's what the Buddhist approach is about. It's about looking inward. So I, I can create the barrier or not yeah. within myself. Sure. I can create a door with no physical door being there and vice versa. I can eliminate that door completely. And there are doors to the self that people will not walk through. Exactly. Because we're afraid of what we'll find inside of ourselves. Exactly. And so often we're enigmas to our own self because our doors are locked. I would say that, that artists, are, part of what we do as artists is... Uh, therapeutic in that way. When you talk you about know, writing specifically, you know, the old cliche, uh, the pen is mightier than the sword. Well, it is. I can only cut down so many people with a sword in a given time, but if I can write a piece of literature that affects 5 million people and changes their approach to living or way of thinking. <laughs> oh, but the experience of cutting down five people with a sword is <laughs> intensely amazing compared to I mean, right? Harry, it's one of the sure. reasons we do these podcasts. Is what? This is definitely one of the reasons why I do them. Because we're just a couple of guys talking and we're throwing ideas around and maybe something that we talk about, somebody's listening and going, hmm, never thought of it that way. Which reminds me, hmm. we do have Voxbox to, we do have Voxbox. Uh, to uh, share with people. And here's one of them coming at you right now. Voxbox. So what's your story? Recently, I read an article in the Globe and Mail uh, last week about uh, technology and social media and the actual tech devices. 
talking about our addiction to them, uh, a lot of people leaving these companies, former employees coming out saying that these companies are exploiting the dopamine levels in our brains so that we become addicted to these devices. And they are now, there's these murmurings and rumblings out there that they may look to regulate these devices, which I think I might be for. They've already started it in cars. They've already started it in some schools. And basically with the gist of the articles, that the cell phones in particular are the new tobacco and alcohol. So uh, it was something that blew my mind uh, over the last week or so. Okay, cool. We're here with... Uh, Anthony Carnavalli. And where are we, Anthony? The French Press Cafe in Orangeville, Ontario. Cool. Thanks. Ciao. Box, box. This is our 30th podcast. Yes. And it's time for you folks out there who are listening in Barrie or Thorold or wherever you are to respond to the podcast. Send your comments in. We'd love to hear from you. Seriously. Yeah. Go to thesillpodcast.com and send your comments in or to spreaker.com. iTunes. iTunes is carrying this podcast as well. And we want to hear from you. Uh, Let us know what we're doing right. Let us know what we're doing wrong. Rant. Rave. We certainly do that. <laughs> <laughs> and our praise. And our praise. There you go. So there you go. That's what we're after. The doors. Yes, back to the doors. Actually, it's interesting that we're talking about doors because the, the, uh, the doors. The band, the doors. When I heard of the doors the first time, I actually heard a song and I didn't know who the song was by. And then I heard the doors. I just loved that name. Yeah. The doors. Because when I listen to their music, actually, and I don't know how familiar you are with their music, but The Doors was almost a perfect name for the type of music and, and lyrical content that their music had. People are strange when you're a stranger. Yes. People look ugly when you're alone. Women seem wicked when you're unwanted. <laughs> do, 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 well, do, I, sorry, do. I can't do the musical when backup, you're Harry. Strange. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love that stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know, the doors are open. Hello, I love you. Won't you tell me your name? Yes. That's right, exactly. You know, so Jim Morrison himself, he began as a poet, not as a musician. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so back to the name, The Doors, it's perfect. Uh, yeah. I always appreciated their their different style and format. And it's only in recent years that I really, really listened to the lyrics in detail. Because when I was younger, I was kind of caught up in the melody and the, mm-hmm. the beat and so on. And I listened to a degree, but I, I wasn't in the same headspace that I am today. Yeah. Now, I don't forget those guys were all taking drugs big Mine. time. Yeah. And there's another way of uh, opening doors. Of opening the doors. Yep. Is, and people have used that technique for thousands of years. Uh-huh. You ingest some sort of teacher plant, you drink a lot of booze, whatever you do. Accessing. Uh, that, that loosens up the hinges on your door and the lock. Mm-hmm. And now suddenly you're more naked in the world, more yep. vulnerable, yes. but also more open to new ideas and thoughts and landscapes. And that's what these writers, these musicians, these artists have done for mm-hmm. centuries, is uh, unlock their doors through those techniques. Now, it's not to say that they couldn't unlock them otherwise, but yeah. you know, drugs are a quick and easy method mm-hmm. for opening yourself up to... One let, of many methods. To let the world in, yeah. The idea would be, hopefully, you can find doors to open without doing damage to others and self. That's... Sure. And the thing is that the institutions that we have out there, you think about it, institutions are designed to uh, make sure doors are closed, generally speaking. Generally speaking. The laws, 
you cannot do this, you cannot do that. Mm -hmm. You know, we'll put you away behind a locked door Mm -hmm. if you do something bad to society that we deem bad or whatever. And so institutions tend to close up the doors and lock them in many ways. Religions do the same. Yeah, that's what boundaries are. Boundaries are very big doors. That's right. Borders are big doors. That's right. Yeah. I mean, you know, we had the border to the stars broken with the moon landing in 69, Mm -hmm. was it? Um, July 20th, 1969. We can't underestimate how that kind of thing, advances in science, blasting through thresholds we never thought we'd get through, tells us that doors can be opened and we can be more and do more with who we are as human beings and as humanity Mm -hmm. if we blast through those doors in different ways and open them. Well... Knock, knock. Knock, knock. <laughs> You're supposed to say, who's there? Who's there? <laughs> Dishes. Dishes who? Dishes a stick up. Oy vey. <laughs> Back to the cat skills with you. <laughs> you got to come up with a better one, knock, knock. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only one I know. Sister Susan, Brother John, Martin Luther, The Sill Podcast, Perspectives on Art and Technology, is a Connecting Dots Media production. Available at thesillpodcast.com. Thank you.